John chapter number 20 tonight, and uh, I want to begin reading in verse number 20, uh, 10, and I, I want to give you a few thoughts tonight. I hope will be a help and an encouragement to you. I touched on uh, this thought somewhat a few weeks ago, the week after Easter, but uh, the Lord's had this sermon on my heart now for a couple weeks, and I wanted to share with you some thoughts I believe that the Lord has given us. And I believe there'll be a help to us. In John chapter number 20, look at verse number 10. Now, we're familiar with this scene. We're uh, right after the resurrection of our Lord. In fact, we're standing, if you will, by the empty tomb. The Bible says, Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. They say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. I want you to notice this, and knew not that it was Jesus. I want to read that verse again. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. And she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that He had spoken these things unto her. Would you pray with me tonight? Heavenly Father, thank You again for this time that You've given us. Lord, we don't deserve a single thing from Your hand. Father, if we were where we should be tonight, we'd all be in hell, but we thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the grace that was bestowed upon us through the death of your son. Now, Lord, we need help tonight to understand your word, to make it clear to our hearts and minds. And I pray, Father, that you would affect that which is most needful in our lives. Lord, you know what each heart's need is, and I do not. But God, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would make plain to us your will. And Father, just meet with us in a mighty way. Lord, if there's one amongst us that's lost, I pray that you'd show them their lost state. If there's one that's backslid, show them your goodness, Lord. If there's one that's discouraged, lift them up. But God, whatever that need may be in the heart, we pray you'd meet it to your glory and honor. Father, we love you tonight. We ask all these things in the precious name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. I'm fascinated and very interested with the phrase in verse number 14 when it says she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, but the Bible says, and knew not that it was Jesus. You know, as you'll study the post-resurrection appearances of our Lord, you'll find that three times our Lord appeared unto people that knew Him very, very, very well. But when He appeared unto them, they did not know that it was Him. And when I examine this passage, I can't help but think in my own heart and mind, That you and I, if we're saved by the grace of God and we know the Lord is our Savior, we have the comfort that He's with us. But I would, uh, I'd just not be honest with you if I didn't admit to you that there's times when I know the Lord's present in my life, 
But it just doesn't seem that way. Somebody say amen right there if you know that's the truth. Times when I know God is present, but it seems like I just cannot find Him. And certainly the situation that I believe is very similar to ours, the truth being driven home, is that the disciples had to come to know the Lord in a different way than they had known Him before. Paul wrote and spoke of how they had known Him after the flesh. And certainly those that walked with the Lord in the 33 and a half years that God walked amongst men robed in flesh, they knew Him after the flesh. They could reach out and they could hold His hand. They could see Him. They could communicate with Him audibly. But now a change has taken place. No longer are they from henceforth going to be able to deal with the Savior thus and address Him thus. But the relationship, though it will be deeper, it is changed in a way that is significant. You see, you and I, we've never seen the Lord, have we? We've never seen the Lord. Peter said, whom having not seen, ye love. And in fact, we have a deeper relationship with Christ than the disciples did. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. The Holy Spirit guides us and comforts us and leads us. And certainly our Lord made this truth plain when He said, Blessed are those whom having not seen, yet have believed. We have a deeper relationship with the Lord. Although we do not see Him physically, we do not hear Him audibly. I'm sure this was a pretty big adjustment for the disciples. Getting used to the ever-presence of God, but never seeing God. And you and I are in much the same situation today. And I believe that there's three things we can gather as we read these passages. And I'm just going to run through and touch on them, almost like I'm walking along and going to pick up a rock here and there and just toss it down the path. As I read this passage and I look at Mary's situation, I see that Mary was in a sorrowful time. Her heart was broken. She'd never experienced anything like this before. For three and a half years, she had walked with the Savior. She had grown to love the Savior, and of course, the Savior had loved her. And by the way, I don't mean it in the perverse way that the world tries to tell you either. Uh, but it was a pure love. It was a godly love. He loved her as a Savior, and she loved him as a disciple. And certainly they cared much for each other. And you can see by the tears that she's shedding that sorrow had gripped her heart. But I'd just like to say to you tonight, I'm thankful that in sorrowful times my Lord is still with me. You know, many times in sorrowful times we're tempted to believe the Lord's not with us. I think sometimes we like to think that uh, always having the Lord with us is always going to mean a happy disposition. But you'll find if you'll live in this world long enough that you're going to have sorrow, you're going to have tribulation, you're going to have difficulty in your life. And just because difficulty comes your way, that doesn't mean that the divine presence of God has forsaken you. Mary was in the most difficult time she had ever experienced, and yet the Lord was standing right by her side. She was sorrowful for a couple reasons. I want to give them to you. First, I want you to notice that her heart was distraught. Notice what she says uh, to the Lord. She says, uh, supposing him to be the gardener, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Put yourself in her shoes. Her heart was absolutely in pieces. You see, you have to understand for the disciples what went along with a belief in Christ as the Son of God, was also a belief in a literal kingdom that he was going to set up. You know that? And uh, certainly he still is going to set up a literal earthly kingdom. I thank the Lord for that. But now all of a sudden, all of that vanishes away in a moment. 
This one that she loved so dearly is gone. This one that she had so much hope vested in is dead. And she does not know where to go. She does not know what to do. Her heart was distraught, but her hopes were destroyed. She had no clue what to do anymore. Can I say to you that there will probably be times... you ever been so crushed by something that it left you paralyzed? you ever been so crushed by heartache that you just didn't know what to do? Here she stands, weeping by this tomb. She's not going anywhere. She's just standing. The other disciples had came and gone. They had came, they had seen, and they had left. But you know, the heart that loves is the heart that stays. And she loved the Lord in a very sincere way. In fact, the illustration is given earlier in the Gospels whenever she presents herself to the Lord and she begins to weep and uh, wash the Savior's feet with her hair. And a Pharisee by the name of Simon begins to think within himself, saying, if uh, Christ knew what manner of man or what manner of woman this was, she'd not allow this woman uh, to lay her hands upon the Savior. The illustration Christ gives is she uh, is uh, the Savior calls Simon aside and says, Simon, I want to talk to you. And uh, he looks at Simon and he says, I want to tell you a story about two people that borrowed money from a man. The one borrowed, and we'll say just for uh, modern understanding, borrowed $50 from a particular person. And the other one borrowed 500 one day that creditor uh, decided to forgive both of those amounts. And Christ asked uh, Simon this, said, Who do you think is going to love the creditor more? Simon made the statement, I suppose the one to whom most was forgiven. And he says, Simon, thou hast guessed right. He was giving the illustration, Mary Magdalene had been a sinful woman, but she had felt the presence of God and His saving grace upon her life and it instilled a love within her towards God that was unparalleled. And you find a staying quality to her. When everyone else left, when everyone else went away, she stayed by the tomb. She stayed by the graveside. Certainly sorrow had paralyzed her. And as she stood there not knowing what to do, she hears someone behind her. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that God is present in the midst of my trials. It's not enough that God's aware of my trials. Now, maybe you're different, but for me, it's not enough that God's aware of my trials. See, I believe in what we call a personal God. I don't believe God is just alive. I don't believe God is just aware. But I believe that God is concerned with the everyday details of my life, that He's interested in me and that He's present in my life. And we see this in the life of Mary as she's standing there, she senses a presence there, but she's not aware who it is. She knows someone's near. She knows there is the presence of someone in her life, but she's not aware of who it is. Sometimes sorrow can bring us to such a place of despair that we forget that God is present in our lives. Then she turns around and she says, uh, the Savior looks at her and says, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She asks where they've taken the Savior's body. And listen to what Jesus says. She didn't uh, ask for her name to be called, but Jesus called her name just the same. I'm thankful in my life. There's times I don't know what I need, you know. Can I just talk with you for a minute? Is that okay? There's times in my life I don't know what I need. Times in my life I don't know what's going to solve my problems. I don't know what's going to speak peace to my soul. I don't know what's going to give me the comfort that I desire. But, you know, God always knows what we need in our lives. Always, at every moment, at every time. And what she needed to hear was she needed to hear that voice that had spoken her name many times say it once more. 
Her heart was destroyed, or was uh, distraught, and her hopes were destroyed, but her heaviness was dispelled because the Savior made Himself known in the midst of her trial. I think there's a real danger in our everyday lives that when God shows up, we don't credit Him for it, you know? I, I hear people all the time say, well, that was lucky. No, that wasn't lucky. Nothing's lucky. If you're a believer, that was the providential hand of God in your life. People say, well, I'm fortunate. No, you're not fortunate. You're blessed. There's a difference. God is present in your life. And it seems to me, as I go about in my daily walk with the Lord, and you know, as a pastor, of course, I, I have a lot to do with God's people. And I hear people's prayer requests. And I, I praise His name that I hear their praises too. And I hear where God is working in their lives. And there's a very real danger as believers that as we go through our lives, we don't recognize who it is that's standing there in the midst of our trials. Who it is that's intervened. Who it is that's worked. In a mighty way. We see that in sorrowful times, the Lord is present and the Lord is near. But I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. And I want you to hear another story about a group of people that were met by the Lord, but weren't aware who was speaking to them. Most of us are familiar with this passage. In fact, I preached on it just a couple weeks ago. Again, we're standing not outside of the tomb now, but we're standing outside of Jerusalem. And the Lord has risen. Notice what it says. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, one uh, Jesus drew himself near and went with them. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass here in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company, which made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they had found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went. And he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward the evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it, and brake and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. We find that God is present with us in sorrowful times. And you're probably going to have sorrowful times at some point in your life. But I'm thankful that the Lord's with us in sightless times as well. 
these two disciples, I believe it was Cleopas and his wife Mary, and you can believe whatever you want about it. We can fist fight about it if you want to in the parking lot. But, but I believe that it was Cleopas and his wife. I believe they were journeying home from Jerusalem whenever this conversation took place. And the Bible tells us that they were standing there and conversing one with another about what had taken place in Jerusalem. And I can just kind of imagine, you let me use a little sanctified imagination if that's all right for a moment. I can just kind of imagine what the conversation went like. And I can just imagine Cleopas looking at his wife Mary and saying, Mary, you know, I just don't understand what's taken place. I just don't understand. This man said he was the Son of God. He did great and mighty deeds that proved he was the Son of God. Uh, He worked miracles. He forgave sins. Surely he had to be the Son of God. Maybe Mary said, well, honey, he probably was. Maybe Cleopas said, well, Mary, if he was, why did he allow them to take him and crucify him? Why is this the end of the journey that he took? Why is it that he had to suffer these things that he's had to suffer? Surely God would not allow himself to suffer the way that he suffered. And if I could boil it down to one theme, you know what they were saying? I don't understand the way God's will is worked out. I can't see what God is doing in our lives. I wish I could tell you I always understand the will of God. I wish I could tell you that. I wish I always did understand the will of God. But i got to be honest enough to tell you, there's times in my life when I can't figure out what God is doing. By the way, a prerequisite to us obeying the will of God is not us understanding it. Somebody say amen right there. God never once told us we're going to understand what He's doing in our lives. In fact, He went so far as to say, My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways. Uh, God plainly made known to His people, you're not always going to see what I'm doing, but it doesn't mean I'm not present. And as they walk along and they're discussing these things, there was confusion in their hearts. And then all of a sudden, here comes a traveler and saddles up beside them and asks them, what are you talking about over here? And it's interesting, you know, I'm, I've always, I've talked about it a lot, I'm sure our regulars are sick of me talking about it, but I'm fascinated by divine questions because they're not seeking an answer for the benefit of themselves, but for the benefit of the person that's being asked or the people that are surrounding the scenario that they might hear it. And the Savior asks them what they're talking about. The Lord wants them to reiterate their complaint. The Lord is begging with them to pour their complaint unto Him. Boy, I'm thankful that I can take my complaints to the Lord. I'm thankful God never gets tired of hearing me pray. Somebody say amen right there. Because, man, I need to pray. There's times in my life, I'd say all the time in my life, I need a place in the throne room where I can go and seek God's face. And when confusion clouds your life and you don't understand what God is doing, I'm thankful that there was not only confusion, but there was counsel that came into the scenario. He says, what things? And Cleopas says, are you kidding me? Are you telling me you don't know what's happened in Jerusalem? And he begins to explain various things about what has taken place. Christ rebukes them at first. He says, O fools, and slow slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. But the Bible says, Then he began at Moses and began to expound unto them throughout all the Scriptures things concerning themselves. Listen, I'm glad, too, that God makes known to us His will when it's necessary. I'm glad God knows what we need when we need it, and He makes it known to us when the time comes. There have been times, and I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life where I felt like if I didn't get some clarity and some vision on a matter, I was just going to throw up my hands. I couldn't go no farther. 
But the real truth of it is that whether he had revealed unto them any of those truths or not, he spoke to them what was needed. He made plain to them what was necessary for their understanding. Listen, if you don't understand the will of God for your life right now, just be patient. When you need to understand it, if you're seeking God's face, you will understand uh, there's a lot of people concerned about stepping out of the will of God on accident and missing the will of God. And I, I used to hear teenagers talk about it all the time when I was a youth pastor. I'm afraid I'm going to miss the will of God, going to miss the will of God. Listen, God doesn't stutter. He speaks clearly when it's time for Him to speak. God is not trying to make life a big mystery to you. God is not trying to make His Word a big mystery to you. He's trying to reveal His will as is necessary in His own timing. He makes clear to them these truths. But then I want you to notice there's not only confusion and counsel, but there's a time of communion that takes place. He begins, and I'm not going to dwell on this a lot. I preached all over it a couple weeks ago. But as he gets to the house, he makes as though he's going to leave and go on. And I've already noted it, but it's worth saying twice that, you know, uh, the Lord only fellowships with those that want to fellowship with him. If they had let him go on, he would have gone on. He wasn't bluffing them. And you say, well, but doesn't he have a divine will? Sure, he has a divine will. But isn't God sovereign? Sure, God is sovereign. God's so sovereign, he uses the free will of man to accomplish his ends and purposes. And he won't force himself upon anyone's life. You have just as much of God as you want, and I do too. Every one of us, we have just as much of God as we want. You might say, well, I just want to commune with God. Well, then commune with Him. He's ready to stop by your house. He's ready to spend some time with you. And so they say, no, come in, come in. Spend time with us. And I I like what the Lord did. He came in as a guest and He took over as the host. He began to bless, bless the bread and He began to break the bread. He began to meet their needs. And when we invite God into our life and when we invite Him in for fellowship, if we're already saved, when we uh, respond to the knocking on our heart's door and uh, He comes in unto us and sups with us and us with Him, He feeds our soul what is most needful. They still didn't know who it was, but when he broke the bread, it was in the breaking of the bread. That's what they said. I believe it's verse 34, that they knew him in the breaking of the bread. You won't know God except it's in fellowship. You hear me? You may you may be saved, but you won't come to really know the Savior except it be in fellowship. That's where you meet with God. That's where you speak with Him. All the theological study in the world does not substitute. Listen, a thousand gallons of theological substitute or theological substance does not substitute for a single ounce of true communion with Almighty God. There's nothing like it. So in sightless times, when we're confused, when we're despaired, God is with us. But turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. And uh, I've been threatening to preach for 15 minutes for three weeks now. We'll see. Maybe I'll make it. Amen. John chapter number 21. I want you to look at verse number 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed He Himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee and two other of His disciples. And Simon Peter saith unto them, I will go, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But in the morning, when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Notice this. But the disciples knew not 
that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. He said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then, as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. For all there were so many, yet was not the yet net broken." Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. None of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Notice this, knowing that it was the Lord. I'm thankful the Lord is there in sorrowful times in our life. And you know, in sorrowful times, it feels like God's not near. I'm thankful He's there in sightless times. You know, in sightless times, we're tempted to say that God is not there. But let me ask you something. Do you believe that He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? That's what He told us, isn't it? Didn't he tell us he'd never leave us, he'd never forsake us? He didn't say, if you're obedient to me, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't say, if you follow me, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. But he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When we look at the life of the disciples here, I'm constrained to look at it and see that for them it was a sinful time in their life. I'm thankful in sinful times my Lord does not forsake me. We see a few things Notice that they were unfaithful. This is really the thrust of the story, you see. Whenever Peter looked at uh, the other disciples and he said, I go a fishing, it wasn't just like, well, it's a, it's a pretty Saturday and let's just get out and go fishing. I guess them being Jewish, they wouldn't have gone on a Saturday. But maybe they would have said, it's a pretty Tuesday, let's just go out and go fishing for a little while and, and kick. That's not what Peter was saying. Peter wasn't saying, let's go spend a little time for relaxation. That wasn't what Peter was saying. you got to remember, Peter was a fisherman. That was his trade. They went out there with a cane pole with a worm on a hook. They were dragging nets. They were fishing commercially. And what Peter was really saying when he said, I go a fishing, is he was saying, I'm done with the life of a disciple. I'm done. I'm going back to what I was doing three and a half years ago. It's been a good three and a half years, seen a lot of wonderful things, but I'm done. I'm over it. By the way, these that believe that a believer can never, that, that he can never turn his back on God, they're going to have to contend with Peter about that issue because Peter did that very thing. Peter said, I'm done. I'm through with it. He was unfaithful. Man, there's been times in my life when I've been unfaithful. I don't know about you, but there's so many times that I've failed God in my personal walk. Publicly, I've failed God. There's so many times that I've let the Lord down and disappointed Him. But boy, I'm thankful that when I've cast him off, he's never cast me off. I'm thankful when I've turned my back on him, he's never turned his back on me. And I'm thankful that when I've failed him, he's never once failed me. Even in my unfaithfulness, God is praying. You say, preacher, that's a license to sin. No. What shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if you have messed up, God's still present in your life. Many times sin veils our eyes, our spiritual eyes, 
from the awareness of God's presence. You know why? Because we begin to believe the, the lie of the devil. You know what the devil does? The devil tries to treat God as though God's going to act like the devil would. And you know, a lot of believers, they assume... You ever met someone that was naturally distrustful of people? You ever met someone like that in your life? Let me tell you something. You better watch people that are naturally distrustful of other people. You know why they're like that a lot of times? Because they know how they are, and they expect the same out of others. Amen? You ever met someone that didn't want to believe what anyone ever said? Usually it's because that's the way they are. They anticipate others to be that very same way. And we do that with God. We think to ourselves, if I was God, I would have given up on me. So we assume God's going to give up on us. And the devil comes along and says, well, I sure would have given up on you. So surely God would have given up on you. And the world says, well, we would have given up on you. So they come along and say, surely God would have given up on you. But you study in the Word of God, you don't even have to study it. You just read through it in a casual manner and you'll find this truth that God never leaves His children, never wants. He doesn't forsake us. They were unfaithful, but they were unfruitful. Sin always paralyzes the believer from being able to be fruitful for the cause of Christ. Now, they don't have to remain in that paralyzed state. They can repent, confess their sin to God, and ask forgiveness. God will forgive them. But sin always stifles your relationship with the Lord. There was no reason we would have supposed that Peter wouldn't have been able to go out there and catch fishes. Peter had been doing it his whole life. He knew where to go. He knew where the fish were. He knew how deep to throw the net. He knew when to draw it up. He knew everything there was to know. But I personally believe that God knew where the fish was, and he made sure the fish didn't swim into his net. <laughs> I don't know, maybe you're different from me, but I know times in my life when I've got sin in my life, you ever notice that a lost person can live in sin and it don't affect them? But the believer, when he gets sin in his life, it seems like nothing goes right. Somebody say amen right there. You know that's true. You know that's true. Come on now. You know that when you get sin in your life, all of a sudden everything goes wrong. The car breaks down. You stub your toe. The money runs short. The food goes short out of the refrigerator. It just seems like everything goes wrong. God's making sure you're not comfortable in your sin. He's making sure you feel the wickedness of your sin so that you might turn back towards Him. You know, I, I kind of bet that the bottom of that whale's belly was not a comfortable place for Jonah. But it was out of the belly of the whale that he cried unto God and asked His forgiveness. God brings our works and our ambitions to naught when we're not living for Him. And sometimes He does it when we are, if that's not His will for our life. But I mean, in the everyday of it, God makes things difficult on the believer that's not following Him. In love, mind you, in love, not in hatred, but in love that they might draw back closer to Him. And I'm thankful for this last truth, and I'm going to hush after this. They were unfaithful and they were unfruitful, but I'm thankful they were forgiven. The Lord called unto him. He didn't say, friends. You didn't notice that, did you? He didn't say friends. He didn't say disciples. He didn't say servants. He said children. Children. Have you any meat? Your sin does not change. Now listen to me. Your sin affects your fellowship with God. But your sin does not change your position with God. Or we might use the terminology relationship with God. Now I understand it can affect relationship in the way that we commonly understand. Like a relationship or a friendship or a fellowship. But it doesn't change. If you're a child and you sin, you're still a child. Most of you know that's true of your own children. You know if they sin, now you may not be able to tolerate that sin. It may have to be punished, corrected, cast out. But you're always going to love them. They're always your children. God's the same way. 
We're always his children. He calls out and says, children, have you any meat? It's another one of those divine questions. The Lord knew, but he wanted them to ask themselves that question. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes God will ask me, Toby, how's that sin working out for you? <laughs> you ever had God ask you that? How's that sin working out for you? Toby, how's that rebellion working out for you, son? How's that working for you? Children, have you any meat? They had to look around and say, well, you know, we haven't caught a thing tonight. It seems like everything's been going wrong. You know what God does? He doesn't just make us aware of our failures and shortcomings, but He makes us aware of the answer to our failures and shortcomings. He says, cast on the other side. You know what He was saying? He was saying... Guys, you're going in the wrong direction. Turn around and cast on the other side. Trying to make them aware that the way they were doing it was not the way God would be doing it. It wasn't about which side of the boat they were casting their net on. Most of you know enough about uh, fishing to know that it's not going to make five, ten feet. It's going to make that big of a difference when you're talking about 153 fishes. What was the truth that the Lord was teaching them? You're going the wrong direction. Turn around if you want my blessing. God says the same to His wayward children. You're going the wrong direction. Turn around. Turn towards me. Turn back. That's the very definition of repentance. It's an attitude of the heart. It's a changing of the attitude of the heart. It's going one direction and admitting that we're going away from God, that we need to be going towards Him and turning our heart's attitude towards Almighty God. That's evidence many times in us putting away those sins from our life in a very real and effectual way. But don't mistake, repentance is not just when the drunkard pours out his liquor. It's not just when we throw away uh, the things in our life that ought not be there. But it's the change of the heart's attitude that we're aware that we're wrong, we're in sin, and we need to turn back towards God to where He's at. He says, have you any meat? They said, no. So cast on the other side. And they found out when they did it God's way that God blessed it. They pulled up a whole huge heaping net full of fishes. 153. Say, preacher, what's the significance of that number? 153. It's a whole lot of fishes. That's all I know to tell you. It's a whole lot of fishes. And the Bible says great fishes. And brought up those. And you know what the Lord did? He didn't just meet their need. He didn't just reveal himself to them. But he said, let's go over to the. Let's go over to the bank and let's sit and let's fellowship. Well, I'm thankful. You know, the only thing that stands between the believer and fellowship with the Lord is sin. Sin and indifference and apathy. When we don't have the want to to fellowship with Him. I'm thankful there's no probational period with God. I'm thankful if I've sinned and I've messed up and I go to God and I ask His forgiveness. Buddy, I'm thankful that He doesn't say, let me put you on a trial period now. When I've turned back towards Him, when I've asked His forgiveness... And by the way, He don't forgive me because I deserve it. He forgives me because of the price paid on Calvary. And He doesn't... Listen, He doesn't forgive me because of how sorry I am either. Now, we ought to be sorry. That's part of repentance. But He doesn't forgive me because I'm so sorry. He forgives me by His grace. He forgives me uh, in the person of Christ and by the blood of Christ. And so when He forgives me of that sin, I'm immediately cleansed of it. You say, I don't believe in that post-salvation cleansing. You're going to have to argue with John because he said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us our sins, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You and I both, we need to be cleansed when we've sinned and done wrong in our lives. We need to confess it to God, plead the blood and beg his forgiveness. He will forgive us. And when he does, there's fellowship. 
He wants to meet with His children. He wants to fellowship. He wants to meet your needs. But maybe there's sin in your life tonight. You say, oh, well, it's not a big sin. It doesn't have to be. You say, well, it's not a dark sin. It doesn't have to be. You say, well, it's not a lot of sins. It doesn't have to be. But if there's something in your life that could be keeping you from fellowship with the Savior, let me make you two promises. The first is this. You won't be happy till you confess and repent it. You won't be happy. Your life won't be what it needs to be until you get it out of your heart, out of your life, confess it to God, and ask His forgiveness. Let me make you a second promise. He'll forgive you. He's ready to forgive you. And He's ready to restore fellowship between you and Him tonight.